First Peter chapter three. I want you to look at uh, one of read verse fifteen that we looked at last Sunday night, and then verse sixteen I touched on last Sunday night, but I didn't deal with. But I want to deal with it this morning. So we're going to look at verse sixteen and seventeen. But let's begin reading in verse fifteen. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that ask you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, look at verse 16. Continuation of that statement. Having a good conscience. That whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. I want you to look at that statement. It is better if the will of God be so. The will of God allows it that you suffer. Father, I love you. I praise you. I just pray that you would, Lord, just drive these truths in our heart for your honor and your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach on this subject this morning, the power of a clean conscience. The power of a clean conscience. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, when I began to study for this morning, um, I was going to pick up in verse 17 because as I said, I touched on verse 16 last Sunday night. But when I got to looking, this first phrase, having a good conscience. The Lord just began to do a work in me, your preacher. And I began to see some stuff about this that I have never seen. And what invoked me, what really got my attention was the way that this was presented in the original language. And so what I want you to do, I want you to really be attentive. I, I'm, I'm just going to be upfront with you, okay? I believe that this is such an important matter that I don't believe you can biblically counsel correctly if you don't understand the conscience. That's how important I believe this is. And I believe this will help you because I believe this is where all of us live. And so I want you to grab a hold of this truth. Let's, let's begin looking at this. The first thing is the command concerning the conscience. You say, what do you mean the command? Because that word having a good conscience is not just a statement of assumed fact. It's a statement that you ought to have a good conscience. And it's also in a tense which means this. You ought to have and continue to have and continue to have a good conscience. So in other words, it's an imperative command in which through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, Peter is writing here and he's saying, listen, for you to be able to have an answer when everybody asks of you, You've got to have a good conscience. And you've got to allow God to work that in you. Now, we all know, or I hope we know, that when you were born of your mother, you were born into sin. But yet at the same time, God gave you a conscience. We know that from Romans chapter 1. Romans 1 says that every man has a conscience. And that conscience is something that God gave every man. Now, listen, when God saved you, you didn't lose it. So you still got that conscience. 
But now something drastically transpired with your conscience when God saved you. Now, here, here's what I want you to see. I want you to kind of go through this with you. Okay, the first thing we're going to look at is the explanation of the conscience. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've got a lot more points and a lot more verses than I usually have because I want you to get this. I want you to see the explanation of a conscience. So if, if, if the words commands us to have a good conscience, how many of you agree? I better know what it is. And I better know everything I can about it. And so we're going to go through this. So what is the definition of a good conscience? That's the first thing I need to know. So if I'm going to explain what the conscience is, I better know what the definition is. Well, the word here, good conscience, is a conjunction of two Greek words. And here's what it means. It means one to with, one to know. So here's what it means. To know with. To know with what? To have something that is a standard whereby your conscience knows with with you are. So in other words, your conscience can condemn you or your conscience can witness to you. And your conscience can affirm or your conscience can very much be a conviction to you. So even as a lost person, why did God give everybody a conscience? Because everybody that has a conscience would know two things. There's someone greater than I am. That's the reason every tribe and every world today worships something. Whether it's a totem pole, whether it's a cow, whether it's the clouds in the sky, they're worshiping something. Why? Because their conscience is witnessing against them that there's someone or something greater than you. Now we know that someone is the Lord, God, Yahweh. But yet here is the reality. So when you define the conscience, here's what you're defining. that It's saying that God has given you something whereby you can know with. You can know about yourself. One Bible scholar said the conscience is your great courtroom of your soul. In other words, your conscience can slam the gavel of something is not right, or your conscience can slam the gavel that you're innocent. But your conscience is something that bears witness against you or for you. Now, here's the reality. So we live today, I hear this all the time as a pastor, we live today on this mindset, or most people do. I'm going to let my conscience be my guide. So what we're going to define today is simply this. Is that a true statement? And here's what I'm going to tell you today. I'm going to answer it up front and then I'm going to explain it. The answer to that question is yes and no. You say, what do you mean? Because the second thing we're going to look at, if you're going to define the conscience, you've got to distinguish. Distinguish the conscience. There's got to be the distinguishing of the conscience. You say, what do you mean by that? Because the Bible has a lot to say about your conscience. All right, the Bible says, even as a believer, now I want you to hear me, even as a believer, the Bible says you can have a weak conscience. All right, we know this, but several verses. But 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10 through 12, I'm not going to read them, but here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 8, 10 through 12, Paul's writing to the church of Corinth and he's telling the church of Corinth, be careful because you can wound a weak conscience. In other words, you can have a conscience that's weak that can be easily wounded. What does that mean? Here's what it means. 
If you're easily offended, you've got a weak conscience. If something gets under your skin real quickly, you've got a weak conscience. Because you're easily wounded. A weak conscience simply means this, that you're easily manipulated or easily caused to respond inappropriately to anything and everything that takes place. A weak conscience would also be defined this way, that you are easily swayed one way or another by what others may say. So that can be someone that's teaching error and you're blown away by every wind of doctrine that comes along. It, it could be that somebody says something to you that causes you to be easily affected. And so when you have a weak conscience, you can have a wounded conscience. Your conscience can get wounded. Well, listen, if you've got a weak conscience, then guess what? You can't fully trust your conscience. Because your conscience, listen, your conscience can be convinced of something that is not true, even though it is true. For instance, let me give you an example. Your conscience can, after a time, can convince yourself that what I'm doing is not wrong, even though it's directly against the Word of God. And at the same time, on the flip side, your conscience can condemn you about something that God is not condemning you about. So in other words, He gives this command, have, have a good, and which means clear, have a clear conscience. But for me to do that, i got to understand what it is, but i also got to distinguish where I'm at. Now, so that's what, what it says. It can be weak. But I want you to see, secondly, it can be wayward. This, too, is for a saved person as well. It can be wayward. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me read a verse to you. Titus chapter 1, verse 15. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and their conscience is what? Now, one Bible scholar put it, I thought, the best way you could put it. He said, your conscience is like a window. In other words, a window lets what? Light in. The window don't produce the light, but the window lets light in. But what happens when you allow dirt to accumulate on the window and you never, ever clean it? Eventually, the dirt will what? Cause the light to be able to not get through like it needs to. And so this is what a defiled or a defiled conscience is. It's whereby you're not walking in obedience and surrender to the Lord. God's been dealing with you in certain areas of your life, and yet you're excusing them away. And as you excuse them away, here's what happened. Dirt is piling up on your conscience, and all of a sudden now what's happening is the Spirit who is the one that illuminates your mind, illuminates your heart. The Spirit is not able to illuminate you like He did. And all of a sudden you become hard-hearted. All of a sudden you become dull-hearted. All of a sudden now what happens is now you begin to excuse away what God's been dealing with you about because now you're not as sensitive to it. This is what it means by defiled But thirdly, to distinguish the conscience, you've also got to understand it can be wretched. Now, this is not for a saved person. This is for a lost person. But listen to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. 
Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, the doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Now watch this. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. This would be in, in the same form of Romans 1 where God turns someone over to a reprobate mind. What happens when God turns somebody over a reprobate mind? Here's what happens. Their conscience becomes seared. Their conscience becomes hardened. And now all of a sudden, they don't even have a moral compass about it. And they give themselves to things. Romans 1, they give themselves to things like homosexuality and those type things because their conscience, what, is seared. Now, so what is my hope? I mean, how can I be commanded to have a pure or clean conscience, good conscience, if my conscience can be weak, wounded, weary, wayward, and wretched? Well, Y'all ready for the good news? It can be a witness. You say, how is that? Because there is the deliverance of the conscience. How does the conscience become a witness? I want, I want to show you this. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Here's what Paul said. Now let me give you the context. Paul is praying for his kinsman, Israel. And he's about to pray something that would cause believers to say, Paul, you've lost your marble. You say, what is he about to pray? He's about to pray, let me be accursed in the Lord that they could be saved. That's what he prayed. But before he prayed that and before he told them that, here's what he said. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. So what is he saying? He said, my conscience bearing me witness. The Holy Spirit is shining light through the window of my conscience. And I am telling you the truth because the Spirit of God's confirming the truth within me. He's the one that governs my prayer life. And I'm telling you from the word of the Holy Spirit within me, he said, I pray God would have cursed me if Israel could be saved. So your conscience can bear you witness. But for that to happen, there had to be something that happened in the past. And then there has to be something that continues to happen in the present. What had to happen in the past is your conscience had to be delivered. How many agree when you and I were lost, even though we had a conscience, it wasn't a conscience you could trust with everything in your life? So how many agree God had to do something? Well, can I tell you, if you're saved today, God did something. You say, well, what did God do? Well, look at it with me. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your what? Purge your what? Conscience from dead works to serve a living God. Aren't you glad today that the blood of Jesus Christ did a work in you and work in me when God saved me and this conscience who was bent towards the world, this conscience that was skewed towards the world and towards self, got the blood of Christ, purged it, made it new, and now all of a sudden my conscience has been delivered. You can go to Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 22, 
where he says, draw nigh with all assurance, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil what? Conscience. In other words, I can go to the Lord. I can draw near to Him in fellowship, communion, and intimacy. Why? Because I know the blood has been applied and my conscience has been purged. And guess what? I have a pure conscience. As long as I keep my window clean. Well, so how do I keep my window clean? There's not only the explanation of the conscience, but the exercising of the conscience. We're not going to turn there, but Acts 24, 16, this is what Paul said. Paul said, I exercise myself to have a good conscience. So if we're commanded to have a good conscience, then what part do we play in obeying that command? How many agree? If a command's given, we have to submit to it. So how many agree there is a role that we play in having a good conscience? And you say, well, what's the role we play in having a good conscience? Well, I'll give you this. You exercise your conscience. How? Number one, you exercise it in the Word. It takes the Word. You remember what I told you the definition of conscience was? To know with. To know with what? The standard of the word. In other words, let me tell you something. Y'all still love me? Say amen. How much of this that is in you would be how much you can trust your conscience? Because there's the standard. Because, like I said, the conscience does not give revelation. The conscience just reflects revelation. Well, how many of you agree? If I've not allowed the light to stir in me, how many agree my conscience has not got a lot to show? I think some people think, well, when God saved me, my conscience is good. I don't have to do anything with it. And so, therefore, I don't have to stay in my word all the time. God knows I'm busy. God knows that. Well, i got news for you. God don't know that. And listen, if, if, if you have trouble having time to get in the word, I want to encourage you to do something. Pray God will free up your time. See, here's the reality. The reality is, if you don't have time, and you're truly saved, God may free up your time, but you may not like the way He does it. Because it takes the Word to keep your window clean. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is what? Truth. It takes the word to keep you clean. Well, not only does it take the word, it takes a willingness. Because when I go to the word and I begin to fill myself with the word, how many agree sometimes the word exposes me? How many agree the word sometimes reveals things to me about myself? So there has to be willingness in me not only to give myself to the Word, but there has to be a willingness in me to allow the dirt in my life to be cleansed, which involves repentance, which involves obedience, which involves an open, teachable spirit, a teachable heart. 
And when this happens, then guess what? You're keeping your window clean. And as you're keeping your window clean, you're keeping your fellowship hot. You're keeping your fellowship intimate. And as you're keeping your fellowship intimate, then the light can shine through the window of your conscience. And then, guess what? You can trust the conscience because the conscience is just the vessel through which the Spirit of God is dealing with you. There has to be a willing. So we see the explanation of the conscience. We see the exercise of the conscience. Then we see the expression of the conscience. Now here's what I want you to listen. Your conscience as a saved person is the means or if you will the road through which Holy Spirit conviction travels. You say you can't find that anywhere in the Bible. Yes, I can. Y'all ask some good questions. Y'all know that? Say amen. John chapter 8. Here's the backdrop of John chapter 8. There's a woman been caught in adultery. The Pharisees come to the Lord and said, the law says she ought to be stoned. Y'all remember that passage? All right, what did the Lord do? Did the Lord give him a dissertation of the law? No. What did the Lord do? The Lord bent down and wrote in the ground. Now, I've heard sermon after sermon of what the Lord wrote in the ground. Can I tell you what he wrote in the ground? I don't have a clue because the Bible don't say it. But whatever it did, it had an effect on those Pharisees because Jesus turned around and he said, he that is without guilt, pick up the stone and throw the first stone. And when Jesus said that, look what the Scripture says. The Scripture says in verse 9, and they which heard it being convicted by their own what? Why? Went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus left them alone and the woman standing in the midst. In other words, this is a verse that says they were convicted where? In their conscience. So when the Spirit of God deals with you, He deals with you through your conscience. And how sensitive I am to the conviction of the Holy Spirit is going to be on the basis of how clean my window is. Because I want to say it again. The conscience does not give revelation. The conscience just reflects revelation. The Spirit of God's the one that gives revelation. How many agree that every time the Spirit of God convicts you, that's revelation? God's speaking to you. And so, there's the expression of the conscience. All right. Well, that's the first point. Amen? Second point. The contentment due to the conscience. Here's the power of the conscience. When you've got a good conscience, a clean conscience, your window's clean. The Spirit of God has liberty and access to make you sensitive to anything He wants to show you. Then here's what's going to happen. You're going to be content in every situation of your life. See, here's the thing. A lot of times when I'm studying something out, God puts me in a position of having to walk on what I'm preaching. Some of you preachers in here know what I'm talking about. And this has been one of those times. I've had to, I've had to apply what I, 
Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It wasn't until this morning until I got content. But here's the thing. Your conscience is a powerful thing when it's clean and pure in your life. Watch what it says. Don't you see the outflow of a good conscience? It says having commanded, having a good conscience, that, once you have a good conscience, watch what that is. That whereas they speak evil, slander of you, as evildoers that you may be that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you, your good conversation in Christ. So in other words, here's what takes place. A good conscience delivers. Delivers from, from what? Worrying about what man says. How much of our life are generated and controlled about what man thinks of us? I mean, some of you have never lifted a hand in praise because you're worried about what somebody will think of you if you did. Y'all say amen. You see, in our humanity, we're driven by what men think. Let me tell you how you know if you've got a clean conscience or a good conscience. What the Lord says to your heart will always trump what others think about you. If what somebody else says to you rattles you quickly, you don't have a good conscience before God. That's what this verse is saying. So what it's saying is your conscience delivers you. Because having a good conscience, then watch what it says. It says, whereas they speak slander of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. How are they going to be ashamed? Because not only does your conscience deliver you from fret and worry and fear, but your conscience not only delivers you, it disgraces. Because when I have a good conscience before the Lord, guess what? Then I'm going to walk in obedience to the Lord. And as I continue to walk in obedience to the Lord, the conversation means your lifestyle. If, if my lifestyle continues to walk in obedience to the Lord, then watch what's going to happen. They're not going to have anything to accuse me with even though they're trying to accuse me. And when they have nothing to say, even though they want to say, then what happens? The life of the Lord Jesus is lived out through me because He has freedom to live His life out through me. Here's what happens. The life of the Lord Jesus, they see Him, and when they see Him, they're ashamed. Which means in the Greek, disgraced by their own words and their own actions. How many of you in here have someone that doesn't like you? Oh, come on, some of y'all are lying. How many of y'all have somebody that doesn't like you? What's your response to them? Is it to avoid them? Be sharp to them? 
Or is it to reflect Jesus and His mercy and His grace to them? The Bible says it's like dumping ashes upon their head. Your conscience witnesses to yourself that no matter what somebody says about you, you know in your conscience because your window's clean and the Spirit of God has the liberty to prick your heart that there's nothing that you have to deal with before the Lord in this issue. And so you walk in peace. You walk in joy. How many times when you get around that person that you know don't like you, it steals your joy? You don't have a good conscience before God. Because if it steals your joy, that means that you're relying upon somebody else to affect your emotions. Y'all still love me, say amen. I mean, this will help you. But watch this. Paul used this. Turn with me real quick. I mean, just real quick. Acts chapter 23, verse 1. Paul comes before the council, the Sanhedrin. And they're accusing. Verse 1. And Paul earnestly, beholding the council, said, Men and brethren... I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. In other words, Paul's standing before them. They're trying to accuse him. What does Paul say? Oh, I'm, I'm good with God. My conscience ain't bearing witness against me. Y'all with me? All right, then you go to chapter 24. What happens is he comes before Felix, and when he comes before Felix, he said, I exercise myself to have a good conscience before God. What'd Felix do? Well, let me tell you right now what I think about you, Paul. No, that's not what Felix did. Here's what the Bible said. Felix got fearful and said, get this man away from me. Felix had it, didn't have anything to say. Because a good conscience before the Lord will cause you to walk and the reality of the life that you received in the Lord Jesus. Y'all got it? Say amen. So the conscience delivers, the conscience disgraces. But let me show you one more thing. The conscience discerns. Look at verse 17. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Now, the bottom part of this verse just simply says this. Don't go out and, and do some, some crazy things and that those things that you do cause you to suffer. In other words, if you are walking in obedience to the Lord, you've got a good conscience before the Lord, and therefore you're obeying Him, and you're walking in obedience, you're just obeying God, and you're obeying what the Spirit of God is showing you in your life, and you have to suffer for that, then here's what the conscience will do. The conscience by the Holy Spirit working through the conscience will give you discernment that God allowed this to happen. If God's will be. Now what it says? If God's will be. So in other words, here's what happens. Your conscience will begin to bear witness for you and say, now wait a minute, before you get riled up, before you start getting fearful and worrying, wait just a minute, the Spirit of God begins to speak to your heart. And what does the Spirit of God say? Listen, is God in control? Is God sovereign? Is, is God ever going to allow anything to touch one of His children that is not either by His initiation or by His permission? 
Doesn't mean God initiates everything that happens to us. But how many agree God's got to allow it? You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, read the book of Job. Satan wanted to touch Job, but he had to go and get permission from God first. And all of a sudden now, I begin to discern my circumstances in a whole different light. Why? Because my conscience is good before God. And I'm not worried about man, I'm worried about the Lord. I have a love for man, I have a passion for man, I have a longing and a desire that man would be right and saved and all those good things, but yet I don't worry about if man speaks against me. And yet the Spirit of God is not bearing witness against me. And all of a sudden now, in peace, in contentment, here's what happens it doesn't matter what happens in my life. My conscience, the Spirit of God through my conscience begins to confirm in me, wait a minute, God's doing something. Wait a minute, God's doing something. But it's something by accident that this happened. God's doing something. It may be God's doing something in you. It may be God wants to do something through you in somebody else's life. It may not have anything to do with you, but somebody else. But God has allowed it for a reason. But if my conscience ain't clean, the last thing I'll think about is God allowed. Here's what I'll say. Why me? Woe is me. Why is this happening to me? Now come on, folks. Am I the only person in this building that ever throws yourself a pity party? You say, Pastor, we have our humanity. We do. We're going to battle. We will. But when you've got a good conscience before God, you'll be able to work through it a lot quicker. Because you know that whatever's going on in your life, whatever's going on in your life, God either had to permit it or God initiated it. And it wasn't an accident. Now y'all love me, say amen. And it wasn't bad luck. Let me tell you something about a Christian. You don't have good luck and you don't have bad luck. You've got God. And let me tell you something else. Don't blame it on Satan either. Boy, Satan's all over me. Really? The Bible says he can only be at one place at one time. Do y'all agree with that? Say amen. Let me tell you something. If I say Satan's all over me, here's what I'm saying. That I am such a threat to him that he's got to leave heaven where he's accusing the brethren day and night and he's got to come bother me alone because I was that important. Do y'all not see a problem with that statement? Now, is there demonic forces? Yes. Is there demonic spirits? Yes. Are they tools? In Satan's hands, yes. But remind yourself, as a child of God, nothing can touch me unless it goes through the Father. But if you don't have a good conscience, 
you'll be quick to forget that. Well, here's the invitation. Pastor, how do I distinguish my conscience, where it's at right now? Very simple. Ask the Lord to show you. Are you easily moved or offended? Are you easily affected by circumstance or other people? Then the Lord's already spoke to that matter. Your conscience is not where it needs to be. There's something you're allowing to dirty up your window. So ask the Lord, what is it? But wherever God puts you, here's the thing. If you can't say, I've got a good conscience before God, the most dangerous thing you can do is say, but I don't care. I don't need to deal with this this morning. Because here's what your pastors come to understand. That where my conscience is will be how sensitive I'm to this Holy Spirit in my life. How many sins does it take to grieve and quench the Holy Spirit? So how many agree I need to keep my window clean? So here's the thing. I don't have paper towels and I don't have Windex. But you don't need that. Because the Spirit of God with the Word of God does what Windex could never do. But you've got to be willing to let Him do it. Father, I come to You this morning and I pray that we'd be obedient to You. Father, we'd truly have searching hearts to, Father, know where we are in relation to this truth. And Father, whatever You show us, whatever You want to deal with in our life, Father, we'd be quick to say, I'm tired of looking through a dirty window. And we let Your Word wash us. Freshen in there. And so Father, there may be somebody or multiple people in this place that, Father, they just have to be honest. Their conscience has never been delivered to start with. They've never been saved. Their life proves it out because it's always focused on themselves and what's good for them and what I want, what I think. Father, maybe today you're wanting to apply the precious blood of Christ to their conscience. And you're wanting to purge their defiled conscience. Their evil conscience. Father, that's what mine was. 
at one time. It's what all people conscious was at one time. But Father, I pray that whatever you desire to do, you would do it for your glory. Father, maybe there's people in here today that they've just come to know this is where you would have them to be, part of the family of liberty. And if that's the case, Father, I pray they'd obey you today. But Father, in your way and in your timing, for your glory. But Father, whatever we need to do in obedience to you, I pray we would be open and responsive to it. In Jesus' holy, precious, and mighty name. And all God's children said,